Welcome to Training Our Brains for Virtual Selling. I'm your host, Anna Britton, or guest. And coming into this episode, I was reflecting on my own personal experiences of virtual selling. How 30 years ago, the mantra was get in front of the customer. But about 15 years ago, as I was working increasingly international, I saw a big shift to selling virtually. And in the last five years, I'd say that at least 80% of my clients I've not met in person before we start working together. And that's mainly been due to geography. As this episode goes out in 2020, pretty much all tech B2B selling is happening virtually. And whatever the balance in the future, I think we're all agreed that virtual selling is here to stay. In fact, McKinsey have some interesting survey information on this, which I'll share with our newsletter subscribers following this episode. So how do we make sure that our sales teams are really adapted and optimized for this way of selling? There's a lot of practical advice out there on this subject, but I think there's a tendency to look at it from the perspective of a shift from face-to-face to virtual. And I wanted in this episode to take a slightly different perspective and think about it as a thing in its own right. So to that end, I'm joined today by Ed Santana and Azzy Aslam. Now, Ed is a technology strategy advisor. Having known Ed for quite a few years now, I really see Ed as somebody who has a talent for translating between business requirements and technology solutions, particularly around automation and AI. He has a long history of working with large tech companies like Vodafone, where I first met him, Fujitsu and Orange. And today he works with leaders of startups, NGOs and large organizations to help them to digitally transform and grow their own organizations. Azzy Aslam is a habit and change coach. And what I love about the way Azzy works is that he uses science and neuroscience to help professionals make changes to their own performance or life by creating new habits, routines and processes. Azzy also has a long history of sales leadership in the corporate, international and SME markets. And in fact, I first met Azzy over 20 years ago now when he was a sales leader at BT. So welcome to you both. Azzy, let me start by framing a question for you. We hear all kinds of feedback from salespeople around the challenges of selling virtually and in fact communicating in general virtually. Things like getting and keeping the customer's attention, managing our own attention spans, how to build rapport without without being able to have a coffee or a beer or something in person, as well as obviously the notorious Zoom fatigue. So why does this virtual environment cause problems for our brains? Okay, the, the first point with why does it cause causes challenges is, first thing, is it's, it's a change. So we're moving away from what we used to do a few months ago to this new world, which is more online, you know, lots of Zoom calls or video calls. And when we're actually in this virtual world, the, the one thing we're not getting from the other side is we're not seeing the whole person. And I mean, and, and I literally mean the whole person, as in you're not seeing this individual sat right in front of you. When we sat in front of people face to face in real life, your brain, your whole, you know, every sense that you have is picking up subliminal information. So things that you do, things that you say, how you say things your whole body language. Now, you might say, I'm not very good at body language, but actually, we're all, we're all good at body language. It's just that we're not very conscious of it. So one of the things that happens is um, all of that information is now, is now hidden. I'm not saying it's disappeared. It's hidden. Because all we're seeing in this virtual world is, as we sit here on this uh, call is headshot. So, you know, sort of shoulders upwards, and that's all we're seeing. I'm sort of moving my hands around so you can see the hands in the camera, but sometimes you don't even see those. You don't see the movements that go on that you would normally do sat face to face. 
So your mind actually goes into a bit of overdrive here because it's trying to figure out, usually when you're, when you're sitting with someone, you're trying to figure out, is this person helpful, kind, nice to me, or is this person going to be horrible, nasty, and a threat to me? And as I said, all these signals you, you pick up from you know, the whole person being in front of you, and you know, 80% of them are now lost. And you've just got this, this headpiece in front of you, and you're trying to figure out just from, that inf- just from those little bits of information, is this person going to work with me or not going to work with me? Am I going to get the deal or not going to get the deal? Is this person engaged or not engaged? And you're trying to do it from a very small piece of visual information and a bit of t- uh, tone and voice, and all of the other body language has just gone. It's just disappeared. So this is just new to the brain, and the brain's having to work very hard trying to figure out all the missing pieces. I think it's an interesting point because it sells people, even if they're used to selling virtually some of the time, where it's ingrained in every salesperson that you've got to get in front of the customer. And a lot of emphasis is put on the the social, the rapport building, the relationship building. And, and I don't think any of us would dispute that relationships are, are critical in the business world and in, and in the selling world. But I, I suppose it raises that question around what does rapport really mean when we're trying to do that screen to screen rather than over lunch or, or over a coffee or even sitting in somebody's office? Azzy, let's stay with you for a moment. What, what would you say on, on that? And then, Ed, uh, let's bring you into this too. I think, I think I, once again, I just want to spell everything you're going to ask me, I want to split into two, two pieces. So the first piece is, is, again, it's this thing that we've become accustomed to for the last 30, 40, 50 years of sales training, which is we have to get in front of the customer. And we're now finding actually that's not the case. So we, there is a different way of, of, of doing things. What we're trying to do is, is the usual stuff, which is apply old methods, habits, uh, learnings to a new way of doing something. So we still think that rapport is important. We have to you know, still go through the whole machinations of building rapport with someone. And I think in a, in a virtual environment, I, I, I'd say it's probably not as important now because when you're sat on the other end of this, this uh, you know, virtual device you know you're even further away from figuring out what that other person is thinking doing uh, in front of you so is rapport building really that important or do we just really have to get down to the real facts of what that person at the other end wants to know so they can make a decision so i would probably push and say the rapport building may not be as important as you as you think because we're not physically meeting people anymore and in this virtual world, it may be just a case of, you know, I've got this video conference, I've got another one lined up and another one, and I've got to do this. You know, life is still busy. And now people are trying to cram even more into that because they can virtually, they don't have to travel to places. And they'll probably try and do three or four of these video calls, but they want to get you know, moving on from one to the next. What do you think, Ed? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned reports. So I think there is a lot uh, that happens pre-meeting and post-meeting these days right so to your point people are really in a rush and you now have a, a shorter period of time to capture their attention so that's where things like you know using social media you know building some of that some of those assets you know things like videos and and podcasts and articles and all those things that live way beyond the time of that video call 
can be useful because if you if you do capture someone, let's say you only have 10 minutes, you capture their attention, you can always say, hey, there is more on my website. Yeah, There is more for you to get to know me, right? And maybe build that report, but it will not be in the moment. It might be after the actual the actual meeting. So, I, so, so report building starts before the this virtual meeting and continues afterwards and you're not even there. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that, that also, it also plays into you know, a trend that we've been seeing in, in large, complex B2B sales for some time, that the number of stakeholders involved in every deal has been increasing. Um, I think the you know, latest yeah. stats are around 6.8, but you know, that's been gradually edging, edging up. So when we start to think about rapport, I think God of the days where you go in, you find yourself a champion and that champion is going to do all the work for you. Not to say that champions are not important. They're probably even more important than ever before. But their role is very different. And we need to be influencing and building credibility for ourselves and our companies across multiple stakeholders. And so I think you know, that also plays into this, What what is rapport? Because it's unlikely that we're going to get to know six, seven, eight, ten stakeholders to to that same level that we might have expected to in the past, when perhaps we only had to convince two or three people. So I think it's it's interesting that even in the physical getting out there, getting in front of the customer, the reality was that we're rarely getting in front of every rubber stamp or approver in every deal, particularly when it's large. And so we need to maybe rethink a little bit about what we actually mean by rapport and what the value is. One of the things that I see is much more around, you know, how do you get the customer's attention and maintain it? It's because there's something in it for them to talk to you. And whether it's a 30 minute or an hour meeting on Zoom or video conference platform of choice, they're only going to spend that time if there's something in it for them. And so the rapport and the credibility comes from the quality, perhaps, of the conversation rather than are you a good, nice person to, to deal with that, I think, builds and, and comes later. Absolutely. And, and as he was talking about how we try and bring things that we're used to doing face-to-face to the, the, to the virtual world, and we definitely need to adapt. So as he was talking about how difficult it is to keep people's attention, so Think about a PowerPoint presentation. So the whole, the whole thing about a, a death of PowerPoint now happens quicker. So you need to be more precise. And you know, when people ask me, what are your tips for running a virtual meeting? So first of all, reduce the amount of time you're sharing your screen doing some PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, first, because you need to be more concise, absolutely. But also because every time you put that screen share in front of everybody else, you're no longer in front of them. In most in most of the of the video conferencing tools, you then become a little window uh, at the bottom or just some background uh, voice, right? So it's really important for you to be very very short on your presentation, demo, whatever it is. Switch that off as soon as you can, so you can go back to being in front of your customer, right? That that's really important because again, as as you said, you're not even there in your entirety. Right? So be, be sure that you're there for as, as, as long as you can. We, we all have these different senses, you know, the visual, the auditory, the kinesthetic, you know, the, how we feel. Uh, and there's also, you know, the aromas and, and, and taste as well. But most of us tend to sort of uh, focus on the first three, so visual, uh, auditory, and the kinesthetic. And the visual aspect 
of our senses is probably the, the, the most powerful, the one that we rely on the, the most. And, and you, you can test this for yourself because if you actually blindfold yourself, now all of a sudden what will happen is your, your hearing becomes, a, you just become a little bit sharper with your hearing. You know, if you're sort of getting up in the middle of the night and it's dark and, you know, you, you'll listen out for things and you'll feel for things. As soon as the light comes on, you know what? Your visual aspect, your visual uh, senses take over and the, everything else just drops. The visual aspect of online meetings is really important, but it also means that actually if you sound good, if you have a good voice, a nice voice that people can listen to, that is also going to make a massive difference in this online world as well. I, can I just pick up on one point we, we said a few minutes ago, um, and I sort of, uh, sort of made a throwaway comment where I said, your rapport is built before and after the meeting. We all do this. We all do this. You know, we can have great rapport with someone but online you know a few days later we might see something that they've said or done which we totally disagree with and that can totally totally put people off so being online you know not only in in face-to-face in meeting you know online meeting like this but you have to be very conscious about what you're putting out there on social media you know on linkedin i mean i've come across people who have been connected to for years and then recently they've said something i'm thinking you know what, I, I never thought they would ever say something like that. And that then all of a sudden you sort of change your your view and your you know your your views on that person. So therefore the rapport carries on, you know, before and well after these meetings. Effectively, your virtual self exists 24-7. Absolutely. Actually, so you right. you know, so it's really important as, as what you're actually putting out there, what kind of information you're putting out there, which either reinforces what you're you're saying face to face in these online meetings or it will be uh, contrary to them. And if it's contrary, then you know what? You just run the risk of losing clients, not because the product's no good, but because something you've said doesn't feel right to them. And we back to, you know, how, um, and, and I always said about decisions that we make, you can sit there and have a thousand tick lists and, you know, tick through a, a whole list and get everything, you know, on that list ticked off and you think you've logically made a decision, but the final decision is always going to be, and does it feel right? And it's always emotional. So bear that in mind. So emotions play a big, a big part in this, even though we're not face to face with people. Yeah. I think that that may well be a subject in its own right for us to Mm. come back and explore that psychology of making, uh, making decisions. I think it's interesting as well, while we're talking about, this selling environment and and our online social media personas doing a lot of the work for us because I think what we're really talking about is quite a change in what we expect of salespeople you know in many organizations it's marketing that produces the social media content and collateral and you know lots of good stuff comes out of the marketing teams around the corporate voice and the corporate messaging but I think what we're also saying here is that, you know, we need salespeople to be thinking more holistically around their own social media profiles, how they are engaging, building opportunities, creating those relationships online and virtually in a way that perhaps is more accelerated and more accentuated than it has been in the past. So thinking about some of the sales leaders who uh, who may be listening to, to our conversation here, who will no doubt have a range of salespeople of different qualities, different characteristics and different comfort zones. What sort of things might might be helpful for them to think about? How do, how do I really equip my sales team, my diverse sales team to be 
more confident and more capable in thriving in this more virtual world going forward. Absolutely. So, so just picking picking up on the on the social media side, I'll say something that might be counterintuitive. Social media is not the place to sell. Uh, certainly not LinkedIn as a professional network. It really is a place to give away some valuable information to everybody else in your network uh, for free. Uh, and that will help you increase your credibility, raise your profile, demonstrate top leadership. That's that's the key thing that is very difficult for people to change, right? They think that it's all about selling, but it's not. It's about actually creating those uh, assets that will help with the, the report later. Now, in terms of the actual virtual meeting itself, um, I always like talking about things that we do every day at every meeting, right? So one of them, as I said, is presenting. The other one is taking notes. And this is where maybe the virtual world is helping us because the one thing I would definitely recommend is every time you can record your meetings, right? Recording meetings, of course, you know, make sure that you get your uh, participants to agree to that. But once you record it, there are several advantages. So first of all, you can go back to it. Well, first of all, you, you can not having to pay attention to every single word so you don't miss anything and you, you're writing rather than being in the actual meeting, right? So you can always go back and review it. Um, and also there are some tools that now have some uh, transcript capability. So that also helps you, right, with, with the notes. But the other bit is it's very difficult for you to pick up on all the on the nuances uh, of language and body languages, as he said. And if you can review it, you can pick up maybe where you 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 missed a particular uh, signal from a client, right? Maybe 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 now you know that you you lost them at that particular point, right? Uh, or maybe you 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 couldn't see a particular buying signal, and now you can see it. So that's that's important. And then the final bit is you can review yourself. <laughs> you can also uh, you know, use it as a coaching mechanism for yourself and your team to make sure that you are being effective and actually even better every time you go for the next meeting. Right? So even something sim- as simple as recording your meeting can be very powerful. It's a good point about taking notes as well. And you know, as he, you talked about uh, kinesthetic learners, and that's definitely a trait of kinesthetic learners. And I count myself as one of those, you know, that making notes is part of that concentration process. But when you're sitting in front of somebody or you know at a coffee table, it's easy. You know, they can see that you're taking notes, whereas they can't always see that on, on camera. So I think, you know, actually just flagging up if you're taking some notes to let people know, because then if you sort of glance down out of the way, they know you're making a note rather than maybe looking at your phone and checking your emails. I think, you know, the point about listening as well and, and making it a dialogue is is interesting too. You know, what, what we're seeing, and, and I'm certainly having a lot of conversations with companies right now about how do we improve our discovery processes. It's easy perhaps to fall into the, the pitch and I'm going to tell you about my company or my product. I'm going to ask you a few questions and then I'm going to go straight into my pitch face to face. And, you know, maybe the customer then starts asking some questions and they drive the dialogue. And I think you know, when we're having these virtual meetings, really thinking from the off about how do I make this a conversation and a dialogue, thinking carefully about what are the questions that are going to help to move that conversation forward and really listening to the responses and not going with my planned pitch of what I wanted to say, but actually trying to understand deeply, as I think you mentioned the point earlier on, but really trying to understand what is it that the customer wants? 
you know, what, what's the need that's driving the conversation and what's the need that's driving this individual conversation? What specifically do they want to get out of this 30 minutes or 60 minutes discussion that they're having with you now? And, and so I think, you know, that listening, creating a dialogue and a conversation is absolutely critical. And I think it's, you know, one of the things that for many salespeople, it's a little bit of a transition from a traditional uh, sales conversation in those early stages. I would I would argue it should always have been you know, this way around a conversation and a dialogue. But I think you know we know that very often salespeople pitch up with a a bit of a slide deck. And to your point, Ed, you know that that takes them away from the screen, takes them away from the the communication. And so being very thoughtful and mindful about how to use that and using it very sparingly, cutting in and out of it, I think makes a big a big difference. Azzy, I'm sure you've got yeah. some thoughts on uh, on some of how that uh, how our brains cope with that, and how perhaps we can we can adapt, and sales leaders can help their teams to adapt. Uh, I mean, when, when I when I was going through sales training, and I'm sure you you remember this, you know, questioning was the thing. You know, asking the right questions. You know, ask the questions. It was not about giving the answers. It's not about you know telling people everything, but asking the question. And I think in this environment, I'm not sure we're. We're having one hour long meetings now. Uh, I think meetings are much shorter. So the questioning technique has to be even better. So salespeople need to get really smart with their questioning. In the past, we might have got away with it. You know, we had a bit of time going back and forward. They didn't see us, but we have a very short space of time because they, they can see, you know, they can meet us today, uh, you know, at two o'clock and at 2.30, they'll be meeting a competitor and at three o'clock, somebody else, you know, all online. And they haven't even left their office or they've not had to get up and get coffee for some people, you know, and go through all that small talk. So the questioning uh, becomes really important to put, really pull out. Well, it's basically qualifying whether this is the right customer. Have you got something for them? And can you solve their problem? What is their problem? So questioning is, is going to be really, really important, I think, a skill which needs to be re-looked at and perhaps re-taught and refocused on uh you know in you know in the coming months and years as we as we move forward with, from this yeah i have a yeah, i have a comment so um anna was talking about the listening and, and then showing that you're listening uh it, it feels like this is this is this is an extra stress when you are on a video conferencing, I mean, uh, I you know, I kept looking at myself, and I personally, I, I now give it the tip of just remove yourself from view, because um, it just feels like you, you know, as Anna was saying, you don't want to actually, if if you start writing on something, you want to make sure that you're actually looking at the camera because you are listening, but you, but you want to show that you're listening. So, what what are your thoughts on that? As it is, and and I think I think we see it all the time. You know, this whole thing about uh, do you wave at the end of a Zoom meeting? Because we physically, we're actually trying to show that we we were present, we were here. Uh, there's all sorts of other psychological stuff around it, but we actually wave at the end of it. But now, you see, what, what's going to happen now is uh, uh, there's a difference between a stage actor and a movie star. And, and a stage actor makes all these huge, you know, big uh, movements. You have to just, you have to tell people, I'm just making some notes. You know, if you are going to look away, you have to clarify what you're doing and look as though you're making notes and show that you're making notes. Otherwise, like you say, you know, people will start to think, well, what is, you know, what's Azzy doing? And also from an acting, you know, going back to the acting thing, if movie stars, you get close-ups of faces and they just have to make small movements of little smirks and smiles and that's enough. 
whereas a stage actor would have to throw his arms or her arms out just to show that they're happy and so on. I always say that sales salespeople are all frustrated actors. So here's a great way to actually start learning and using your acting skills, be it, you know, as though you're on the stage by extenuating and being more pronounced on things you do, but other times just looking straight in the camera and, you know, nodding and smiling and, you know, doing those small sort of uh, uh, movements that show that you are paying attention. It just feels like we are on the back foot, though, though, because now we need to be stage actors on a tiny screen that is not even 4K, right? It's uh, from time to time, it, it, uh, it, it you can't see the detail, and from time to time, it probably freezes. So that's challenging. But I agree. I mean, the, the looking at the camera thing is, is very interesting because you're trying to look in, at, into people's eyes, but you're not really because no. their eyes are below you. This is, this is a very difficult <laughs> thing to do, and you use practice, isn't it? And and that's the thing about this visual sort of uh, messages that you get when you when you're in person because you can look at people straight in the eyes and their eyes will, you know, well not not necessarily their eyes but certainly the areas around their eyes and the nose and the mouth, you know, will make small, uh, what's the word? Change. You'll see small changes. Uh, your micro expressions, as they call them. But, they, but you can't do that very much on uh, online. I, I I deliberately get quite close to the camera because that's my way of doing my micro signals but a lot some people you know all you see is is you know you'll see their head and and three quarters of the the background is just the room so you know sometimes you may actually be better off by being a little bit closer to the camera i think actually your point ed about turning off the self-view so that you're not being distracted check your on screen and and so on it works but then turn it off and and focus in on what the other person is is talking about. I think it's you know it's interesting though because I I know as you know you talk a lot around neuroscience and the fact that we can create new habits and we understand that we we can learn and we can develop. So you know there's there's lots of good hope here, isn't there, about how we're going to evolve our, our skills and our capabilities to be able to better read the signals and interpret the signals and to train our brains that we're not going to see what's happening below the screen. Thinking about that and and just more generally, how can we help sales leaders in in that respect to to coach and develop their, their sales team practically? Yeah, and I think Ed, actually, you 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 mentioned this earlier on, and that was what I said was going through my head, and you just prompted me there. As as sales leaders, you know, we we look at these kind of tools, and and we, you know, I, I've been a sales manager, and and you guys have, and we sort of look at them and see how can we use these to make the numbers. You know, how do we do this to make the numbers? And like with any tool you have, you can either use it for good, or you can use it. Well, I'll say for not 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 so good purposes. If you're going to record all these calls, all these meetings that uh, your salespeople have, you as a sales leader, you can either sort of go into them very critical and say, "Oh, you should have done this, should have done that." That's not the best way to encourage your salespeople to one to record them and then come to you for support. Uh, and if you're going to use it that way, it'll just be it will just it'll just be seen as as another stick to be you know beaten up with if you didn't do the call in the right way. But if you have got the recordings, you can encourage people and say, that was a really good call. Let's look at the bits that need to be developed what, and ask the questions. And this is where I think sales leaders, sales managers particularly, really do need to start learning the skills of coaching rather than managing. Because if you want to coach people with the tools that we now have with these recordings, you've got to ask the right questions. Don't tell 
the salespeople, this is what you did wrong, this is what you did, uh, you know, did right. Ask the right questions of and encourage them to look at themselves because what you don't want to do is be on every call reviewing them with the, with the sales guys after the call. You want them to be able to review the calls themselves. You know, every salesperson should be able to re- review their own call and say, well, that works, that didn't work, what did I learn? And as a sales leader, you've got to use those, uh, these, these new tools to really coach and create the best salespeople that you have around you. And, and I, I was told in my, early on in my sales career, my job was to create the environment for every single salespeople to be successful because that's how I was going to be successful. Not to beat people up, not to do this. Yes, you have to make some tough decisions sometimes, but you have to use the tools to make people successful. And how you do that is, I think, really look, adding to your management skills, your sales management skills, add some coaching skills to it as well. Well, that seems like uh, a good point to perhaps just wrap up with a few last tips for, for sales leaders. Um, so, Azzy, do you want to, to start, perhaps build on, on where you were? What would you, what would you say to, to any sales leader to think about how they might do this? So two things. One is, first of all, look at all the changes that need that uh, you feel you need to make in yourself first, rather than the other, that, rather than your sales team. You need to look at yourself first because you are the example. You are going to set, you know, the criteria, the examples for your sales team. So, look at what you need to change first in yourself before looking at what uh, needs to be changed in your sales teams, your sales people. And uh, just as a as a rule of thumb. If you think that's going to take three months, triple it because that's triply, That's really how long it's going to take to just change yourself. So that's usually what I say to people is if you want to change something in three months, the reality is it's going to take you nine months, probably even a year to do that. But it's small steps, right? Well, it's, it's small steps. And I think you brought this thing up about, you know, changing habits and, uh, or, or new habits, as we've said. And we can't change habits. And I, I've always said this to you guys before. Technically, this is not true. We can't change habits. What we do is we create new habits. And those new habits start from zero. To build them up, it takes 66 to 90 days just to get the basic habit, the framework of that habit to nail down in our brains, but we still, it's still not automated. It takes a good six months, nine, year, nine months after that to really make that a habit, which is part of you, part of your process, part of your, you as a sales leader, as a salesperson. Beauty on that, on that basis then, you know, at least as we, we quote this, in the year 2020, we've all been forced on a new habit, <laughs> which is to, uh, to, to, to work with technology remotely to, to build those uh, you know, relationships and all of that. And in my opinion, you know, don't feel like you've been forced to use technology. We've been using technology forever. We've been, we've been trying to sell using technology like email for a long, long time. So actually, it's the opposite. Technology is an enabler, right? So it actually provides benefits that we wouldn't otherwise have. So, for example, we now have the opportunity to network with more people uh, than ever before. Uh, you know, there is no such thing anymore as, you know, uh, location. You know, I'm, I'm in this city, I'm in the other city. It takes longer. Actually, it's much easier now to get together with people. And then again, use technology like building videos, articles, etc and social media to create those long-term assets uh, and then reach an unlimited number of prospects and potential customers and, uh, and existing customers. So it would just raise awareness about your services and about yourself. Good, and I'd, I'd build on that. 
for for sales leaders thinking about how do you uh, create the right environment because if you just say to salespeople go away and do these things as to your point it's you know it's hard for them to change those behaviors and so i think you know for thinking about what's the cadence and the structure of our sales process here and how how does that now change if we're doing things virtually i think is really key so as you mentioned do we have hour long meetings you know i think you know there's an opportunity to have more and shorter contact points with the customer and to have some clear actions and outputs from each of those calls so there's a potential to keep the momentum up in that sales cycle and in the buying journey much more effectively than perhaps traditionally where we go and have a meeting and then we're going to go back and have another meeting next month and so on actually we can break that down into smaller shorter touch points where we pick up on particular details we can track progress we can support progress so i think you know thinking about you know how do you measure meetings how do you set up your sales people for success in the virtual world is is to think about some of those metrics and some of that cadence of time with the customer in a way that perhaps is a bit different to what we've what we've done before and i think you know in terms of that Conversate. It's much more of a conversation. It's much more bite-sized, and so making sure that salespeople are fully prepared, that they know what is what is this meeting with the customer? Why are we having it? What's in it specifically for the customer? What do they want to get out of this conversation? And then leading with much more of a dialogue. We've talked a lot about listening and and going with that conversation to the point then of of achieving some clear actions of you know what's the customer going to do? What's the salesperson going to do? What are you going to do together as the next uh, contact point? I think becomes really critical and and just building up some structure around that so there are clear behavioural expectations amongst salespeople. I think helps take a little of the pressure off some of the areas that they feel less comfortable with and gives them a bit more a bit more to work with and a bit more sense of progress around how they're now operating. Gents, it's been a real pleasure having this conversation. For anybody that wants to pick up on the discussion with you, uh, how best should they reach you, Azzy? I'm on LinkedIn. So you just look up Azzy Aslam. I'm on, um, grab me on Twitter, on Instagram now as well. My website's called Comentra, C-O-M-E-N-T-R-A.com. And just just get in touch, just connect with me, and you know, happy to have a conversation. I will give a little shout out for your uh, your own podcast series as well, which has loads of great habit forming uh, tips yeah. and advice too. So, uh, changing there's, habits, there's, changing lives. I think that is. Yes, it's changing habits, changing lives is the podcast. And funnily enough, I'm out, I've, I kicked off uh, short talks, thirty minute talks as well, called Coffee and a Coach on Eventbrite, which I which I do as well, and thirty minutes, and I I can crack through a whole bunch of key messages that people take away fantastic and ed where can people contact you same here social media for sure linkedin ed santana um uh, or through my website uh, remarkablefocus.ai and obviously for me anna britton or guest on linkedin and if you enjoyed this episode then please uh, head over to the website and subscribe at revenueriser.com Thank you once again to my guests. And if you'd like a link to the McKinsey study I mentioned at the beginning or to get notified of what we have upcoming in this podcast series, then you can sign up at revenueriser.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast for future episodes on all the main podcast apps. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you'll join us again. (laughs) 